It actually started with the guitarist, Jan Ackerman. He started to play. I mean, one of the best licks ever, I think, in rock and roll history. It's nice because even now Australians know who we are, more so than most English people. We're sort of the band that everybody knows in Australia. You know. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now so far on the series, as you'll know, I've spoken to some incredible rock stars, some singers, guitarists, drummers, bass players, keyboard players, and today marks our first flutist and yodeler. Yes, you heard that right. Flutist and yodeler. Although he, he does play the keyboard and he sings as well, to be fair. But it's the main man from the band that celebrated its 50th anniversary last year and who had some big hits in the US, UK, across Europe and South America too in the early 70s and still have a big following in its recent incarnation. I'm talking about Tice van Leer from the Dutch band Focus. Also on the show, you'll hear another interview, this time with the bass player of the 70s UK group Voyager, best known for their hit single Halfway Hotel, which did well here, across Europe, and made them a household name in Australia too. So you'll hear his stories around that. You'll also get my top five favourite songs from Focus, probably no prizes for guessing what the number one track's going to be. And we'll hear from our good friend, author and journalist with Record Collector magazine and Universal's YouDiscoverMusic.com, Tim Peacock, who'll give us a rundown of this week's big news in the classic rock world. Another packed show for you. I just want to give a few shout-outs this week to new people getting in touch with me. Simon from Sutton in Quebec, Canada, for messaging through Facebook. Hello. We've also got a real growing fan base in North America now. Looking at the stats, 35% of the Vintage Rock Pod listeners are from the US and Canada, just 42% in the UK. The remaining split between the rest of the 73 countries from which we have listeners. Incredible. Also, a big thank you to Dave Pierce from the Insanely Dangerous Retro Podcast for giving us loads of shout-outs on Twitter this week and previous weeks as well. Very much appreciated. Uh, Yaroslav Burez from Hungary, thanks for the email. And US rocker with cult band Nitro, Wax Mechanics, thank you for getting in touch by email as well. And to Mike Norris from My Classic Album Podcast for reaching out on Instagram too. It was great to chat with Mike. I love hearing your stories. It's great when you get in touch. So please feel free to drop me a line on all the numerous platforms that's out there. All the socials, YouTube, you know the rest. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. And lastly, before we hear from our great interview guest this week, a quick thank you to everyone that signed up to become a VRP VIP last week. It's really simple to do and it's free. Just go to vintagerockpod.com and fill in the form on that page and you'll get the chance to ask a question to future guests. You'll find out first who's on upcoming episodes and be in with a chance of winning goodies too. So sign up now. It's vintagerockpod.com. Don't be missing out. Right, so let's get stuck into this week's show then and hear from our first guest, part of a multi-million selling group that's just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Now on Vintage Rock Pod, we've spoke to English rock stars and Scottish rock stars, American rock stars, Canadian rock stars. We've even had a German rock star on, but I'm delighted to say I'm about to be joined by my first Dutch rock star. And not just a rock star, he's a sir as well. His band first found global fame back in the 70s with huge hits that went around the world. I'm delighted to be joined now by Thijs van Leer from the band Focus. Hi, Thijs. Hello, pal. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's good to hear. How are you coping with with lockdown and everything that's been going on in this crazy year? Yeah, I mean, I have to get adapted to it. I'm a lot at home and I'm Mm -hmm. composing every day, actually. 
and not eight hours a day, but a few hours per day. And uh, we have a good contact with the members of the group focus by doing a Zoom every week. Yep. And uh, so that that is making us very or very happy, kind of happy. <laughs> and of course, we are not happy. We are not happening now. We are not performing. No, no, we can't at the moment, can we? But let's go yeah. right back to the very beginning then, Tice, if you don't mind. Um, I, I read somewhere that very, in the very early days, you guys, you rented a room in a grand kind of palace castle sort of thing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was actually a, a castle owned by a, go- a girlfriend of mine. Ah. And she had a, a lot of mainly people from the cinema business being there and having lots of fun and drinks. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was a kind of a serious, half serious uh, gathering of people that had the same kind of uh, interest. And um, I came there with the boss of the cabaret group that I was with, Ramses Shafi. And he knew uh, Mary, and she, he said, let's have uh, a rehearsal at Mary's. And so we did, and that worked very fine. We had a lot of fun and a lot of talks. And then uh, years later, I remember that, and I said to Group Focus, let's ask if we can have a rehearsal there. And we actually did, and we had the agreement of not paying any money, but do a free <laughs> concert there in the, let's say, few months later. So we had a whole, uh, how you call that, a, a wing of that castle for ourselves All right, with man. a beautiful room and a, and a beautiful sounding, uh, a good sound, actually. And we rehearsed there for, for, for days and days and days. <laughs> There's not many bands can say that they started rehearsing in, in castles. I mean, that's very <laughs> special. <laughs> it was actually, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Now, we talk about the, the early days. I mean, the, the first song which really put you on the map was, was House of the King. And that, that kind of brought you big exposure, didn't it? Yeah, in Holland and in the Flemish part of Belgium, yes. But in... In England, for instance, it didn't become a big hit. Maybe it was, there was some play on the radio, but it was not a, the big thing. The big thing was actually Hocus Pocus, the second single. Absolutely. And you mentioned Hocus Pocus there. It was it was big. It was big everywhere. You, you taught all over the place. Big in America. It was big here in the UK as well, as you said, and yep. big all over the world. I mean, yep. just take us back to the beginning of that. Where did that song come from? Then? It actually started with the guitarist, Jan Ackerman. He started to play. And it was sounding great. I mean, one of the best licks ever, I think, in mm-hmm. rock and roll history. Yeah. And then uh, he stopped suddenly, and Pierre, the drummer, he did a drum solo, a fill of two bars, and I started yodeling behind my organ, and for the first time of my life. <laughs> and that was it. That was the song. And then we went to the studio, and we recorded it, and it became a big hit. So where did where did the yodel idea come from? Did it, was it just something spontaneous that came from within you? I never did it before. <laughs> it just came out of that moment, actually. So I can't say too much about it. 
And I did it kind of in tune, I think. It was uh, sounding immediately, uh, let's say, adequate. Yeah, <laughs> it fit yeah. really well, and it was something different, very, very different, wasn't it? Because people weren't yodeling in in pop culture back then. No, there was not not much yodel in in pop culture there. I think what there was a girl in Holland who did it, and there was a, a girl who well, she was called Ima Sumak. She did a bit of voice traveling, but uh, no. No, we were actually the first. Really good. And then I've, I've, I was watching videos of you of you recently doing this, and you, you still managed to pull off some of the yodel now, don't you? But you like to leave the rest of the, the high notes to the crowd. The very high note I cannot mo- make anymore since my 50s, dear. <laughs> so the yodel itself I can do, but the, wow, the, the go up, it doesn't happen anymore. No. <laughs> no, no not now. And the guitarist is helping me and... Uh, and the public, as you say, yeah. So when that song broke big and you got to travel the world and play, I mean, what was it like as a Dutch band going across to America and, and performing over there on their TV shows and things like that? How did that feel? Yeah, that was actually very nice because we had a kind of a small audience and not knowing that we were playing in front of so many million of people that were looking at TV. So there, there was a kind of a... A cozy feeling about it, so we we were not aware of of, of the, the many millions that looked at us. The Don Kirshner show we did, and the many shows, and a show we did with uh, Gladys Knight announcing us. Maybe you saw that on a on a video. Yes, that's on YouTube. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic stuff. And what was it like touring America then? Yeah, yeah. And we started in America with as a supporting act for other groups. We worked with Frank Zappa once with uh, Beach Boys, Joe Cocker, nine times in the Midwest. And we played with Chick Corea, who just died, unfortunately, with his electric group. But he was supporting Fantastic. us also in the Midwest. And Jay Giles' band we worked with, Edgar Winter. Wow. Many others. Some incredible yeah. names. Excellent. And just one more thing I wanted to, to mention as well. The, um, I think it was about 10 years ago or so for, for the World Cup when Hocus Pocus was used by by huge company Nike on their adverts. I mean, did you know they were going to do that in advance? Did you did you realize that was going to happen? Yeah, we, we had a talk with our publisher and he had he made a big deal about that. So we knew it before. It was for for a very big name like Nike. (laughs) And a beautiful film, by the way, done by a Brazilian uh, cinematograph. And a fantastic film with all of very famous football players. Yes, and it br- it brought the music back and your band back, didn't it, to to the forefront? And like you said, with the the big footballers, Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Wayne Rooney, and and other big name footballers were there, and and people were hearing your music again, and it it brought yeah. focus back to the to the masses. Nice. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, England as well. Here in the UK, you've you've always had a big following here, and you still do have a big following here in the UK, don't you? Yeah, I'm very glad about that. Yeah. Going to tour England again in in November of this year, so I'm very happy to have to have so many (laughs) faithful fans. Yeah, 
It's great. And just touching on, on the 70s then in general, in terms of um, a time and a, a place to be alive and to create music, it was it seemed a very free and it, you were able to express yourselves in different ways. Back then you could you could come up with different stuff and new stuff and, and push yeah. the boundaries. Yeah, I think we all were doing our own stuff. We were writing our own uh, material and every band did. So that was not so, so much an exception that we did it too. And uh, there was, of course, a lot of uh, competence, co- co- competition, sorry. And, uh, but it was kind of a, a natural flow that you did that. Nowadays, you hear much more uh, uh, bands that are doing covers and all kinds of combination things. But then there was a lot of or- originality and, and, and kind of a fresh post Beatle and Stones episode, you know, and we were, we were part of that. Yeah. Good stuff. And then in terms of the, the focus part one, then, I mean, you lasted for about 10 years or so until the band broke up originally. Um, and now you, you're back. You've been back for a number of years and you've released um, many albums since then. And you were telling yeah. me before we started recording as well about the lineup. It's kind of the new and the old, isn't it? 50-50. I'm part of the old gang <laughs> with Pierre van der Linden, the drummer, and the guitarist Menno Gootjes and the bass guitarist uh, Judo Panakate. And they are one generation younger. They are 40 years. The drummer and I, we are 70 years old, older than 70. <laughs> and do you find that having these younger guys with you helps to, to keep you alive? Do they bring fresh ideas to you and, and, and keep you going that way? Yeah, also. But also, we inspire them as well. Yes, of course. If I may yeah. be so blunt. Yeah, yeah. So it works very good. Yeah. Excellent. And you mentioned 50-50 split in the band. It kind of nicely leads us on to, to Focus 50 as well. It was a, an album that came out last year and you worked um, with, with Roger Dean as well, didn't you? And I mean, that, was, that must have been very special. That's great. The, the cooperation with Roger Dean is, is unbelievable. And uh, we have a lot of respect for each other. And uh, mm-hmm. when we see each other, which is not often enough, but quite often, then we have great talks and very profound talks. Really nice. Absolutely, because his back catalogue is incredible, isn't it? The bands that he's worked with and he's yeah. gone on record and said that he loves yeah. your music and he, yeah. and he loved working yeah. with you on this project, didn't he? And there's one place that we uh, play uh, with people having dinner. It's in uh, Trading Boundaries. And there he is always there also. The manager of Trading Boundaries is also his manager. So it's a kind of a friendship thing there. That's fantastic. And I touched on it at the very start as well. I'm, I'd like to hear your story about this. You you are a sir, aren't you? You, you, were, you were given the, the honour in, in your home country. Can you tell us about how that came about, Tyson? Yeah, actually, it was my wife, who uh, Annelies, and she prepared it all without me knowing anything. <laughs> and she, she's been corresponding with a lot of friends and they all prepared it. And it was in the church in our village here. And she said, now you have to come on Saturday. You have to come at 12 o'clock sharp in that church and take your flute with you. 
yeah, there's some friends and uh, they want to play some stuff with you. But do I have to uh, rehearse before that? No, no, you know the, the songs and it's no problem. And then I came there in the church with a, the door was closed and I hear some music on the organ played. And I think that must be Bert van der Brink, the best pianist we have in Holland. And he played some uh, of my compositions. And then the door opened and all the family, all my family flown in from all over the world was there filling the church. <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought, this, this, this may be the opening of a cultural season or something. So I came in the church and I played while walking to the front. I sat down. Then the, the mayor of our village, he started talking like it's the beginning of a, a cultural season. You know? And I thought, oh, yeah, I thought I knew that. Mm -hmm. And then I said, he suddenly said, it's about icons. And there's one icon here amongst you. And that's you, Mr. Van Leer. Could you come to me? And then I was really flabbergasted, you know, and, and then he gave me the the ornaments, the knights, how you yep. call that? Yeah, knighthood. Yeah. And then we played with the band, with Focus was there, and Focus played for more than an hour. And then we played with all my family members. We also have a band with my family, and we played for more than an hour. So it was only music, music, music. It was really nice. Oh, it sounds like a fantastic night. Yeah, it was lovely. Very nice indeed. So what's what you've mentioned that you're going to be touring in the UK uh, later on this year in 2021. What else do you have on, on, on the radar? I guess obviously you've been, you said you were writing at home. Is there a new album in the works, in the plan? Yeah, there's two albums that will come out very soon now. And that's a live album from Rio de Janeiro. Wow. With the late, the latest lineup. Also a studio album with all the songs that are called Focus. Focus 1, Focus 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, up until 12. Ah. And so that's a very nice combination of a, a live and a not live album together. And in the meantime, we are working on Focus 12, the album. We didn't rehearse it yet. We are <laughs> still working on it at home. Yep. Quietly. Keep him busy. Absolutely keep him busy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tice. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. And we, we look forward to hearing this new uh, music when, and albums when, when you bring it out. Thank you very much for this interview. The brilliant Tice Van Leer there. He'll be 73 at the end of this month. Incredible. Still a hunger for new music and to tour as well. Fantastic. Now, as we said, Focus hit the big time initially in the early 70s, coming out of the art rock, prog rock scene. All about experimenting and playing with sounds and music. It was a very innovative time, wasn't it, back then? If you're not overly familiar with the band, though, I'm going to give you my top five favourite songs from Focus to help get you going. At five is a track which opens the group's third album, Focus 3, from 1972, one of Tice's favourite tracks from their repertoire. It bustles and hurries along, all swirling around the swirling vocals of the track's title. And number five is Round Goes the Gossip. For my choice at number four, we jump back to the group's debut album, In and Out of Focus, from 1970. It opens with the flute before the acoustic guitar kicks in. It then follows a really foot-tapping, or should I say hand-clapping, beat with mesmeric flute riff throughout. At number four is House of the King. 
at three is one of their newer tracks from the 2016 album Focus 10. It's an upbeat rocking track. Bass drum and chugging guitar keeps the beat going strong throughout the first half before kicking back in towards the end, rocking away until it sounds like Tice almost passes out. I mean, literally, on the end of the track. And number three is All Hens on Deck. For number two, we're revisiting the album Focus 3. This track became the band's biggest hit in the UK, going as high as number four in the charts. It's brilliant. Melody and guitar riff became an instant classic, and it really does stick in the head. And number two is Sylvia. And at number one is the song you'd expect. It's one of those ultimate guitar riffs, plain and simple. Each band member is given a chance to shine with its incredible composition. Plus, any song that becomes a hit with a yodel in it has to be good, right? Check out some of the live performances of this song on YouTube to truly get the full effect, the manicness of its pure, filthy rock and roll. Jan Ackerman's guitar work is brilliant. You'll already have guessed what it is. The number one song from Dutch band Focus, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the fantastic Hocus Pocus. There you go, that's just my thoughts. I'd love to hear yours. Let me know if you agree or disagree with those choices. Get in touch in all the usual ways. Message me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube or whatever. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod. Right, we've got another interview for you on this week's show and it's another group that found success in the 70s, late 70s for these boys. Their big hit finding fame in the UK, Europe and further afield in Australia. And their other back catalogue also deserves more recognition as well. Here's my chat with the bass player from British group Voyager... This is Chris Hook. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking to us. Now, uh, you, as I said, famously from the band Voyager, your big hit Halfway Hotel was a huge hit here in the UK and in Australia. But before we get talking about all the big stuff, let's start at the very beginning then. So you've got the bass in your hand. How did you manage to join uh, Voyager then? How did you manage to join up with Paul French and the boys? The way I did, what happened with that was I I actually joined a band playing in social clubs, really, just a covers band. And somebody said, "We, we ought to have a keyboard player, really. I'd heard of Paul French because he was living in the same town as me. So I looked him up in the phone book and said, um, do you fancy coming and playing keyboards with us? And he said, well, I would because we had some gigs and we were paying gigs, you know, and, uh, and he was quite well known, quite famous locally. But, uh, but he said, well, I would join, but I haven't got a keyboard. He said, I've got a piano at home, but I haven't got a keyboard. So, and I had a reasonable job at the time. And I said, well, I'll buy you a keyboard. Come and join us. So we, I bought this cheap keyboard. <laughs> and poor old Paul came along and joined us. And, uh, and then he and I started writing together. And that really was the beginning of Voyager. How long did it take then from those early days to, to 1979, then when, when your first album came out? Um, I suppose it took about four years. Four, about four okay. years, really. Four or five years. Paul and I actually got a first record deal as the Paul French connection with Tony Hatch. Um, he had Eminem music. Um, so the, the single Halfway Hotel actually came out. It didn't do anything, but we had that single release, which kind of encouraged us. I suppose that was about 76, something like that. Because uh, after once we got management and we, we then recruited uh, Paul Hirsch on guitar, because uh, we decided we needed a proper guitarist. Uh, and so the whole thing developed from then. And we we got introduced to Gus Dudgeon and he liked the songs. And uh, we went into the studio in late 78 to record the single. 
Oh, good stuff. So obviously we, we then get to, to 1979 and, and the, the album named after uh, the same name as the, the big single and the single kind of yeah. it did, did really well, didn't you? You mentioned it, you, you released it a couple yeah. of years prior to that and it didn't do anything, but this time around it did do well and it took off here and it took off on the other side of the world as well in Australia. I mean, how did that feel? Yeah, fantastic. And and funnily enough, in India as well, it, it, it was uh, quite a big success. Um, uh, I don't know why. Um, no, Australia was huge. I mean, we, we should have gone and toured there really, but... The cost of going to tour in Australia was huge, you know, especially mm-hmm. at that time. But uh, no, it, it's nice because even now Australians know who we are, yep. <laughs> more, more, so, more so than most English people. But, uh, you know, we're sort of the band that everybody knows in Australia, you know, of a certain age anyway. The Halfway Hotel was not particularly typical of the music that uh, of Voyage. I mean, our music was quite often compared to Queen and even Genesis at times, because we were quite proggy, and, and the, a lot of the songs, especially on the first album, were very, um, it was sort of like mini-operas. Yeah. I mean, Gus, who produced it, used to call them mini-operas, because they they were, you know, they tended to move around, they were progressive in terms of, there would be several sections and different moods and so on like that, whereas Halfway Hotel was a, a straightforward pop song, really. Absolutely, and it got you that spot on, one of the most iconic of British things, Top of the Pops. Can you remember much about the, that day? Were you, were you backstage? Were you rubbing shoulders in the green room? That cuts that sort of thing? Yeah, we were. Um, we were we were um, backstage with Legs & Co. I think they were still called Legs & Co. At that <laughs> and uh, we did it with um, Elvis Costello and uh, Oliver's Army, I think, was his hit at the time. So we were backstage with them. And uh, I mean, we, we were with quite a big crowd of sort of people that we did the show with but the actual our actual spot on the show didn't go out until the following week which was kind of frustrating because we we were all sort of oh wow it's going to be top of the pops tomorrow or whatever uh and we weren't on it so we had to wait till the following week before they put it out because they'd, they'd got some i don't know some big big name had, had come out with a single that they had to put on so uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah it was good fun to do you know, it's nice to have done it. Definitely. And then between there and the next album, it wasn't a very long period of time at all between the two releases. The next album, Act of Love, that came out in 1980. Was that a, a kind of quick, on the on the heels of the success, get in the studio and bring something else out? Yeah, it was really. Um, we had quite a lot of songs anyway ready to go because uh, we had more songs than there were on the, on the first album. So yeah. um, I think the second album was... I mean, it was slightly different in that there was a slightly different feel to it. It was quite elaborate, the second album, um, with some of the songs on there. Were, were more, some of them were deliberately more poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was fairly quick. We toured the first album in 79 um, around UK and, and did uh, shows in Europe. And we went back in the studio at the same time in the autumn of 79 as we did when uh, 78. But from that second album, Act of Love, um, we've talked about Top of the Pops. The other big thing was was one of your singles being used on the, the weekly chart on Radio 1. I mean, yes. that was quite a, a big deal as well. The DJ who did it. Uh, he was a lovely guy. He was um, he was a bit of a fan of the band. So, yeah, it, 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 it was the intro to uh, Love is Easy. Um, and it was a real storming intro. He just put it in a loop and used it as the backing music, music for the... For the uh, unfortunately, it didn't help. Didn't help the song get in the charts. Unfortunately, <laughs> you think it would have done. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, everyone so. hearing it every week. Absolutely, yeah. And the other, the other song that I just want to mention because it's the one song that I, I always loved on that album was "Keeping the Music Alive." No, does, does that hold fond memories for you? Yeah, it was an unusual song, I think, for for Voyager, and it was an example of the bass part 
I play that with a pick deliberately because it, if you listen, it's quite sort of edgy, the bass part all the way through that. And uh, the whole thing bounces along really quite nicely. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a surprise song. It started off as a song, but without, if you imagine it on piano, without the rhythms and without the bass and everything clicking along. Um, it, it, it was it was a nice song. And then once you brought in the bass and drums and all the little guitar things, it suddenly picked up uh, picked up a sense of drive to it, which uh, I think, uh, yeah, it was, it's a good song. I It's weird because, uh, you know, all these years later, sometimes I listen to, I listen to, I don't listen to, the, to our music very much, but I have listened to it recently when we've been sort of uh, remastering things. And I thought, you know, I get the song better than I did before. I get the music, you know, get, I listen to it and I hear, hear what other people heard rather than being so close to it. You don't know. So, yeah, I, I, quite, I was quite proud of that, that song. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a funny thing because there's so many of those songs not, aren't really like anybody else. Although I think keeping the music alive is a little bit queenish in many ways. You can almost imagine Queen doing it. They've probably done a better job, but you can imagine them produce, pr- producing a song like that. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and then just in the band's uh, the history and the life, you decided to leave before the third album. I mean, what, what was the story behind that? Um, well, after the lack of success of the second album, really, it really wasn't successful. Um, we were living on uh, sort of 50 quid a week each. I had a son who was born in 79, so my first child. We were trying to come up with new stuff and they were going to look they were going to look at look for a different producer and things like that and some of the stuff that the band were coming out with was very kind of what can I say it's funky kind of funky latin american type rhythms and things like that which was not me at all it was not my style you know um, i've never played slap bass or anything resembling it you know i'm a much more an english rock bass player and uh, and um, I kind of just lost, I lost interest in it. I kind of lost faith in it. It was kind of like, well, I don't know where we're going. I don't know why we're doing it. I'm not enjoying this. And, you know, to be honest, the, the rest of the band said, well, if you're not enjoying it, why don't you leave or get somebody else? And I said, okay, let's, that's what I'm going to do. Because I, I needed to make a living. You know, I've got a, I had a son born and, you know, and I had, I was still, I was still living um, with my in-laws because none of us had anywhere to live. You know, it's like in a band, it's awful. So I decided that was it. And I would, uh, I would go and, you know, earn a, earn a, earn a, a living and doing a proper job and, uh, and go and buy a house and be normal. Um, it was a difficult transition to make, but I think I realized that if I came out of Voyager or if Voyager collapsed, I was not, good enough to just walk into another name band as a player I didn't have the reputation to do that and I thought and I just said I thought I just haven't got the energy of you know getting older not old but I'm getting older and I was you know I was kind of 28 and I'm thinking you know I can't just keep playing in a band forever with a living on peanuts and so that was it, really. I mean, you know, if I, I, I was I was convinced that the band were going to do really well with the third album. I mean, I was still quite close to everybody, and I said they're great. I like the new. I like Dominic's playing. I thought he was, you know, a great bass player. But unfortunately, it didn't happen for them. And uh, so it turns out that my, I made the right move. But it could have been the other way, of course. It could have gone on to be massive, and I'd have been, 
you know, kicking myself. But uh, there you go. That's you make your choices, yeah, don't you? Could have been the fifth Voyager, as they say. Yeah, it could have been the fifth Voyager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had enough songs in the back catalogue for to have made some money on it anyway, if they'd have gone huge. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the band basically split after that. Yeah, and then I was gonna say there was a reunion, wasn't there, a few years ago? Was it two thousand? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. What was yeah. that like getting back in the studio then with with the guys and and putting music down after what had been what twenty five years or so? Yeah, it was great. We really, I mean, really, we had a good time doing it. Um, we recorded in various places. Uh, sometimes in a pub, sometimes in somebody's front room. We did vocals in uh, Johnny Martyr's front room. We did we played we did guitar parts um, with the with the guitar cabinet in a pub toilet um turned up flat out uh during the day and uh, to get the sounds we wanted we we employed a couple of singers from uh, a band that i was in because i had a i had another uh covers band quite a good dance band and uh, a couple of singers that uh, i worked with it was a girl fronted band and so we used a couple of them to to do backing vocals we brought in, you know, a few people to do brass parts and harmonica and things like that. So it was interesting and it was, it was fun to do. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, an album which used some songs that went back a long way to just after we'd split or even the ideas had been there mm-hmm. all along. Uh, but a lot of them were new songs, um, you know, written over the last, over the previous sort of 10 years, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun to do, and we, I I designed the cover, and we did all the things together, and took photographs, and yeah, it was great fun. It was great Fantastic. fun. Lovely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Chris, and hearing your stories and everything like that. Is there anything going on in the future? I mean, obviously, it's difficult in this pandemic world that we're living in. But have you got any plans for any Voyager stuff going forward? Perhaps for any for any anything that the fans can look forward to? I don't think so. I'm afraid. I don't think there's a lot to. Uh, to sort of talk about in terms of new new ideas, I think we're all, you know, we're all getting a bit uh, a bit long in the tooth for coming up with new ideas. But uh, you never but know. You never know. What's this space? You know, might, somebody might say, "I want to get the band back together and you know do some touring," and then that might fire up some new ideas. But you know. I can't say it. can't see it personally. Good stuff. Excellent. Well, like I said, thank you very much for joining us, Chris. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And you, and you Paul. Thanks very much for your time. Such a nice guy and interesting to hear his side of the story there. He says himself that they're pretty much known as a one-hit wonder, but luck and other things just didn't seem to go on their side, did it? If you want to check out Voyager, then there's some other great songs of theirs I recommend listening to, like Judas, Total Amnesia, and the aforementioned Keeping the Dream Alive. Right now, we've not heard from our good friend Tim for a few weeks. He's been a busy boy, but I'm delighted to say he's back this week. So let's find out about all the latest news going on in the classic rock world with Tim, who's an author and journalist working for Record Collector magazine and Universal's YouDiscoverMusic.com. So let's see what stories he has for us this week. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, suitably quirky, Paul, anyway, definitely. Uh, the first one to start with a band who we absolutely love, who we have featured a few times, the legendary Black Sabbath. But um, it's in a slightly unusual form this evening. Um, 
you might think that most rock bands are known for their uh, excessive behaviour. They're not known for their d domesticated behaviour. So Black Sabbath have such a thing these days, have such a thing as, as a heavy metal bench, no less, in <laughs> Birmingham, which was opened a few years ago, and it's actually very popular. Um, apparently, it's being spruced up as we speak. Oh. Birmingham, obviously, like most places, is in lockdown at the moment, but there's a campaign at the moment, and you can actually watch um, a video of this on YouTube. The heavy metal bench is actually being refurbished ready for we hope reopening at the end of lockdown at the end of june at the moment so um this distinctive bench it's actually really popular it's it's people are coming from all over europe to, to visit it but apparently the restoration work involved includes repainting the distinctive portraits of the four members of the band on the bench um so they're all being repaired there's repairing you know scratches and chips and repainting jobs being done. And the people involved is a guy called Stuart Francis from Etch Components who look after the thing itself. He says, we're recleaning it, resetting it, ready for when Broad Street reopens. So if you want to have your photo taken with the legendary Black Sabbath and you're in town, that's the place to go post-lockdown, apparently. Go and check out the bench. Go and check Absolutely. the bench. Absolutely. I've got one in the back garden they can fix as well if they this want. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> ah, but does yours have a portrait of Ozzy on it, though, Paul? This is the question. <laughs> no, just me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Second story tonight uh, involves something, uh, obviously we've mentioned lockdown there, everyone's looking for different things to do to mind themselves while they're in lockdown, different ways to occupy ourselves. This might be of use. Um, Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree, of course, is very much Prog's poster boy, he's been out there for yep. a while. But um, last year he launched um, a, a podcast called The Album Years with a guy called Tim Bonas. Uh, Stephen and Tim are actually, they're in a band called No Man as well. It's one of Stephen's other um, projects, projects yeah. as well as his solo career. But um, they launched this podcast last year, which is very popular. And, and it's just, it's the second series of it is just launched this week. And um, in the first episode, which is out there, you can check it out on Apple Music. You can check it out on Spotify and Google Podcasts on most of the digital platforms. I haven't listened to this one yet, but they've, they've honed in on 1981, particularly this year. Yeah. And they'd be talking on the podcast, they're talking about Rush's Moving Pictures, Iron Maiden's second album, Killers. And apparently they're even trying to reappraise uh, Phil Collins's face value. So um, it's a lot of music from 1981 there's a few things which should be more like sort of post-punk and stuff but anyway there's some interesting stuff in there it's one of Pat Metheny's albums as well so um if you check that out that's well worth listening I mean I've interviewed Stephen Wilson a couple of times he's always very interesting um and that podcast is available for free at any time so Perfect. We'll check that one out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And finally, third story tonight. Um, uh, this one uh, relates to Queen. Um, this year, Queen celebrate their Golden Jubilee, 50 years since the classic lineup fell into place. I think it was John Deacon, the bass player, was the last member of the band to join. Starting as of uh, next Friday, which is the 19th, starting on their official YouTube page, they're going to be launching um, footage of the band. There's various things. Uh, they, they say that they will be taking Queen fans on, quote, a unique and remarkable journey, a chance to revisit some of the band's most iconic moments and discover some aspects of the story we didn't know as the band celebrate their Golden Jubilee. Mm. Apparently it's being presented chronologically, so there will be footage of things like their earliest shows at the Rainbow and Hammersmith Odeon in London, yep. uh, right through to recent footage with Adam Lambert and so forth. So it's, it's literally a whole trawl right through their career. 
Um, the interesting thing about this is, is obviously we don't know how the year is going to go, but if you're a fan of Queen, they're going to be um, launching different footage every Friday, literally until March next year. So 50 weeks worth of this. So if you're a Queen fan, fill your boots, basically. Fascinating stuff. Thank you very much as ever, Tim, for keeping us up to date with everything that's going on in the classic walk world. You're very welcome, Paul. Speak to you again soon. And a big thanks to Tim, as always. And that's just about it for another busy show. The big-name guests keep coming, though. I've got four interviews alone scheduled this week, so plenty of diverse rockers from very different bands ready for coming episodes. If this is the first time you've listened, then please hit the follow or subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of the future episodes. And don't forget to check out some of the back catalogue as well, some incredible artists. I've spoke to people from likes of Rainbow and Genesis and Dire Straits and Scorpions and Yes, and so many more to mention right now. These episodes come out every Every Monday morning, they've got a big interview on there. It's full of news and nostalgia. It'll fill all your classic rock needs every single week. Give us a follow or a like on social media too, and you can see the interview that I did with Tice up on YouTube as well. And don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP. Just go to VintageRockPod.com and fill in the form on that first page there. Tell your friends, your family, your neighbours, colleagues, anyone really, just to get listening and join in. Until episode 21 then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.